Graydon, I found out recently that Warren Buffett at age 90 and his buddy Bill Gates, they do one thing to stay very sharp, and that is the game of bridge. You know, I read the same thing, and it made me think to myself, I want to find an expert, somebody that could talk about this, and why is it so helpful to our our mind and our mental faculties? And I so I went out, I did a bunch of research, and I found the expert. His name is Philip Alder. He's written over 9,000 articles. He was a New York Times uh, columnist on the topic of bridge. So we've got him today. It's a fantastic interview. By the way, we've been telling you, if you have questions or things you would like for us to consider in the future on the podcast, we have set up a way for you to send us a text. And that way we can make sure we try to work these into future episodes. And you can text us at 984-207-1753. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Secure Your Retirement Podcast. This is the place where high achieving professionals come to gain confidence on how to successfully navigate their transition into and life during retirement. There's no such thing as a passive retirement plan. To have a successful financial future, your plan must be actively managed. Each week, We will bring you action plans and expert interviews that will help you gain insights, learn fresh perspectives, and finally experience peace of mind about your retirement. Here to help you achieve your dream retirement and live the life you deserve are your hosts, certified financial planners, Raiden Stansel and Merce Tariq. Welcome to our podcast today. You know, Merce and I, when we started this idea of doing a podcast, we really broke it down into three categories. One was financial, the other's legacy, how are we going to leave things behind? And then the third one was lifestyle. So today's podcast is really kind of a lifestyle type podcast. Uh, we're very happy to have with us Mr. Philip Alder who is an expert in the game, the card game bridge. And um, just looking through, I looking at the the site here for uh, Mr. Alder, I tell you, uh, there is just a ton of things. Um, I mean, publishing books back in the eighties, maybe even before that, there's just a long list here. Um, It was a bridge columnist for the New York times from 2005 to 2015. So when it comes to the game of bridge, there is no better source that we could find on earth than having uh, Mr. Alder on. So Mr. Alder, we certainly do appreciate very much you being on the podcast with us today and talking to us about this fascinating game of bridge. You're welcome. You're welcome. It's good to get any publicity for bridge. Usually the only publicity we get these days is on the front page of the paper when there's some cheating scandal. (laughs) <laughs> no one's interested in bridge at all which is a big disappointment especially with people like Warren Buffett and Bill Gates trying to promote the game as much as possible right well hopefully after today's podcast uh, we've got quite a few listeners so hopefully that'll spark some interest and we can get people playing some bridge and make you happy but you know if you could uh, just to kind of start us off can you give us some background on how you came into the world of bridge and how you, how you kind of escalated to becoming a New York times columnist columnist, and also, you know, known as an expert in the game of bridge. Yeah. I started by courtesy of my two best friends in high school at the time I was living in Newport, which at that point was in England. It's now in Wales. It's where they held the Ryder cup, maybe 10 years ago or something. It's about 20 miles East of Cardiff, the capital of Wales. 
And my two best friends there, their parents both played bridge and had taught them how to play. And they learned that our physics master liked bridge, so they set up a bridge club. And at that time, I was playing lots and lots of chess. And I'd heard a rumor that chess and bridge went together well. So I thought I'd go along and find out whether this was true or not. At home, we had played card games, primarily a game called Solo, which has never come to the United States at all. And so I went along and started playing with a fourth person. My two best friends played together as partners. And I got a new partner and we started playing. And we entered the school's competition and did very badly the first year. So I said, right, boys, we're going to do much better next year. So I wrote around to the local schools in our area trying to arrange matches. And no one had a school, but I did get in touch with a fellow who was one of the best players in our area. And by complete chance, after only playing the game three months, he and I started to play once a week at the Newport Bridge Club. And he was good at teaching me the tactics of the game and we were successful extremely quickly. I'd only been playing the game eight months and I was carrying my first trophy home when I was age 15. So Bridge is addictive, I was hooked. <laughs> <laughs> so then getting to the New York Times, I then went to London University, specifically because all the top bridge players in England lived in London. So I wanted to be in London playing with and against them. And one year there was a junior pairs championship where they also played the deals in Manhattan. And the winning British pair got a free trip to the United States. And my partner and I managed to win that free trip. And so over I came. And the person who organized all our trip was Alan Truscott, who was the New York Times bridge columnist. And he and I became extremely close friends. And I basically, you know, he, we played a lot of bridge together. And then I moved to this country in 1985. I was offered a bridge job over here, which actually fell through. But uh, again, Alan and Dorothy, his wife, were very, very helpful to me. They put me up for a few months while I was trying to get my legs, get jobs straight and so on. And then when he got very sick, it was a sort of natural reaction that I took over the column from him. I knew his editor well, and so it was a sort of natural progression. I had had the syndicated newspaper column since 1991 of which I've now written about 9,300 columns. And wow. I did 1,500 columns for the New York Times. It's scary, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that is scary. Wow. Well, I tell you, could you do this for us? You know, uh, I know that we have folks that are listening that like to play the game. I know we've got folks that are listening that have never played the game. So could you kind of give us a high-level explanation of the card game bridge and kind of the mechanics of it maybe 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 give us some comparisons of what we might have or the overall objective of the game right obviously the objection the objective of the game is to score more points than your opponents you play in partnerships two against two you and your partner take on two opponents and you're randomly one pair sits north south the other pair sits east west it's all quite random and the, the game's divided into two sections. You, you play with a regular 52-card deck. Everybody gets 13 cards. Bridge is not a good game for the superstitious. Uh-uh. And so you shuffle and deal. And the first part is bidding, which is like going to Sotheby's or Christie's. You and your partner try to tell everybody how many tricks you think you win. After the bidding comes the card play. And in the card play, 
there are 13 tricks. Every player plays one card to eat from their hand to each trick. So all four hearts are played, then whoever's on lead starts the next trick. And during the bidding, one side has said how many tricks they will win. And then it's the job of the other side to show that they were wrong. And the job of the side that made the claim to show they were right. If you make the contract you said you would make, then you score points. If you don't succeed, you lose points. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a simplified process about it. Yeah. Okay. So, so I've got a question for you because I, I've never played bridge and I've read about it prior to this, this uh, interview just to have an idea. Um, but I play a lot of Euchre. And uh, are you familiar, familiar with the game of Euchre? Actually, not really. No, I have seen Euchre. I saw it in a movie that was made in Australia and had some Euchre in it. And, but I have never played Euchre. Okay. Well, ultimately, it's basically another team style game. Um, but you mentioned uh, bidding. And, and so in Euchre, there's this thing called table talk. You're not allowed to talk to your partner. You're not allowed to sign to them about what you may, what type of hand you may have. But what, from what it looks like in bridge, when you're bidding, you're actually, are you having a conversation? Are there certain ways of indicating something to your teammate uh, as far as how many contracts you think you can take? Yes. Any bid you make, well, you don't have to bid. You can always pass like in poker. You're not forced to bet. But if you do bid, you have to state a number one through seven and one of the suits clubs diamonds hearts spades or you can offer to play with no trump suit at all when you have a trump suit it's like having a master race up your sleeve if somebody leads out the ace of hearts and spades of trumps and you have no hearts you can trump it with the two of spades and win the trick even though sort of theoretically they play the higher card than you've got but the trump suit outranks everybody else if you play no trump, then with no trump suit, some of these ace of hearts, they're going to win the trick. It's impossible to beat an ace. And in the bidding, you state a number, which means how many tricks you're going to win. Because there are 13 tricks, you have to agree to try and win more than half. So you must try to win at least seven tricks. So one club, for example, means partner, we can win seven tricks with clubs as trumps, in my opinion. Two diamonds, partner, I think we can win eight tricks with diamonds as trumps. And you bid backwards and forwards, showing by the number that you bid how many how strong your hand is. And with the suits you name, how many cards you've got in those suits. And each of you is describing your hand. And you hope eventually one of you can work out what the ideal final contract is and name it. And you go from there. Now, the actual language of bidding There are lots and lots and lots of bidding systems over the whole globe, there are hundreds. I must have played maybe 20 different bidding systems in my life. And they've all got pluses and minuses and uh, you you and your partner just need to be on the same wavelength. That's the key part. So I can't say exactly what my cards are, but I can just say I've got four hearts and I believe that I can get, you know, whatever, two, Suppose you open one heart. If you're the first person to do something positive, you open one heart, you're saying, partner, I've got at least 12 points counting. What you do, you count four points for an ace, three for a king, two for a queen, and one for a jack. So that's 40 points in the deck. So on average, you should get 10 points. But if you've got a little bit more than 10, 12, 13, then you can start the bidding. And if you open one heart, you're saying, partner, I've got at least 12 points. 
and they've got at least five hearts. Okay. And a partner takes that information under advisement. If partner loves hearts, then he'll bid two hearts or three hearts or four hearts, depending on how strong his hand is. Very good. So just, you know, as we start this out, and, you know, I, I just to give a little bit of background, how I got uh, to this point of, of wanting to research it and figure it out is what prompted me was I heard an interview, a conversation with Warren Buffett, and then that Warren Buffett conversation led over to Bill Gates. And in that conversation, it was basically noted that Warren Buffett plays bridge every week, a few times a week, and Bill Gates loves to play as well, and they play together. But one of the things that is a side benefit of this game, because as, you, as you're talking, you're describing a lot of different things that we've got to remember and we've got to know about, is that it, it, you know, I heard that it was the game of bridge could be a benefit to being able to have good memory and keeping our mind sharp and all that kind of stuff. And, and what's, your, what's your point on that or thoughts on that? Yeah, that's very true. Bridge is great for the brain. In fact, some years ago, a doctor from the University of California, Berkeley, uh, Marion Cleves Diamond, she went to a seniors bridge game and she took blood from all of the seniors who were playing. They then played for two, two and a half hours and she took blood from them again after they'd finished playing and compared the results and found that in every single case, the white blood count had actually gone up so that bridge was good for fighting disease as well as improving your brain. So that was an interesting, but certainly, yes, bridge is great for keeping the brain busy. Yeah. There's so much to it. The more you use your brain, the better it is. You're doing bridge, reading books, crosswords. But bridge has a lot more to it than other things, which is why I think bridge is a better way of brain. I thought when you said that they took blood again, that they were going to be like their alcohol blood level was up because they maybe were drinking wine during it. <laughs> some people, it's not a bad idea to have a glass of wine before you play. It relaxes you somewhat. I think it's a very good idea. But, uh, so, so Philip, you mentioned um, you mentioned chess earlier on in the conversation, and um, so schools, high schools, middle schools, whatever they are, K through 12, they typically have chess clubs that kids can join to learn the game of chess and then go on to compete in chess tournaments. Um, <clears throat> but when I was growing up, there was no such thing as a bridge club for kids. Uh, and I grew up here in North Carolina. Um, but what are your thoughts on that? It seems to be such an important game in, and, you know, you're very passionate about it. Um, why do you think there isn't bridge in school uh, yes, it's been very frustrating because when I was a schoolboy, we in England had a huge schools competition every year sponsored by the Daily Mail newspaper. It was great. Everybody had bridge clubs. Nowadays, unfortunately, principals in high schools think that if you play bridge today, you're going to play poker tomorrow because hmm. there's so much poker on TV. And, you know, bridge, unfortunately, you can't show live on TV to someone who doesn't play. You don't. You can watch golf, you can watch tennis, you can watch poker on TV and not have to be a player. You can follow very easily what's happening. And in poker, the commentators can very easily explain what's going on. You can see who's bluffing. You can see all the money that's involved. And it's really quite addictive. So unfortunately, as I said, principals seem to think that moving from bridge, their schoolboys will quickly be playing poker with which I'm strongly in disagreement. Mm. And 
certainly one idea is to set up scholarship funds for the best bridge players in the school. They could win scholarship money to colleges of their choice afterwards. I think that would be a very good idea, but it hasn't happened yet to my knowledge. So you mentioned, is there is there any aspect of gambling, like monetarily in the game of bridge? Yes, or you can play bridge for money, for sure. There's basically two types of bridge. You can play tournament bridge where there's no money. Well, I can't say no money. In this country, there's no money. Some European tournaments do have prize money, but it's nobody can make a living out of playing winning prize money one at bridge tournaments. Or you can play social bridge, then you usually do have some financial interest. It's usually not very much, just basically to make people play sensibly. Right. It doesn't matter. If you're not playing for money, it doesn't matter how stupid you get. You can take wild shots and who cares? Gotcha. I hope that you are enjoying the show. By the way, if you are in or nearing retirement and are someone who wants to gain clarity on what questions you should be asking, learn what the biggest retirement myths are, and identify what you could be doing to achieve peace of mind for your retirement, Get started today by requesting your complimentary video course, Four Steps to Secure Your Retirement. To access the course, simply visit pomwealth.net forward slash podcast. If you're new here or you haven't done this yet, this is definitely the first step to get started in applying these principles to your life. So head over to pomwealth.net forward slash podcast and check us out. So to sum up, I, you, you would argue that bridge should be taught at a young age, should be allowed in the school. And I think Raiden and I, on the other side, not related to card games at all, would argue that, well, we think personal finance and retirement planning and, and budgeting and all that should be put into schools from a young age, too. Um, yes, you that's know. a good idea. But actually, one thing that might well interest you in China, everybody in China learns bridge as a school curriculum subject at the age of nine. Wow. They're required to do one year of study. And after the one year, they get the option to continue or to stop and go somewhere else. And China will rule bridge in a few more years. Mm. They're running junior tournaments now. They've got so many more players than anybody else. And they're playing, you know, it's just great the way the Chinese have got all this organized. That kind of leads me to another question, Could you, you know, the international field. I know that with chess, you know, if you know the game of chess, the person that you're playing, you don't have to know their language. You just know how to play chess. Right. Now with bridge, if I have a partner, him and I, or whoever my partner might be, we would obviously be able to know how to communicate, but do I need to know what the other folks are? I mean, is it possible to play with people that do not speak the same language? Uh, sort of the answer to that question is yes, but uh, in the bidding, they might use some bid that you don't understand. Uh-huh. And obviously you need to know what they're doing. You know, for example, I'll just give you a simple example. If you open two diamonds, with most players that says, partner, I've got something like five to 10 points and I've got six diamonds in my hand. But now if you played against my wife and me and I, one of us opened two diamonds, we'd be showing about five to 10 points, but we'd be showing at least five, four in the majors, spades and hearts. So you would never guess that that was what we were doing. We would have to alert you, that's what we were doing, tell you what's going on. And obviously if we did not have a compatible language, 
we could do it by writing on a pad, five, spade, four, heart, and do it that way. I see. So it's not impossible to play with somebody who doesn't speak your language. Right. Gotcha. So I'd like to talk about bridge clubs a little bit. Um, Every now and then when we're trying to schedule an appointment with the client and they, they may say, you know, I've got bridge club at this hour, so I, I'm not available. It's very important right. thing to me. So can you tell us like, what is a bridge club? How do they work? Does it make sense to uh, learn the game first before trying to join one? Is it a membership type deal or do I need to already know how to play? Are there learning situations at, at bridge club? A bridge club is a good place to go and learn the game. Yes. Cause they will have teachers who presumably they vetted and they'll be able to get you other Learning the game, you really need four people plus a teacher uh, who will guide you along. Bridge clubs themselves have been suffering recently because of the internet. People love being able to sit at home, play online, and they don't need to get dressed and they can have a glass of wine and not worry about what's going on. So bridge clubs actually have been suffering. And with the pandemic, of course, it's got even worse. Now, everyone's playing online. I'm playing way more bridge now than I've done in years and years just because it's a good way of filling the time and playing online is nice and simple and straightforward. Now, when you play online, do you play with a partner? Like, do you bring your partner online or do they assign you a partner? Usually you bring a partner for choice. Online at Bridgebase Online, you can actually play with what they call robots, a computer program who will play. The robots have the advantage they never forget anything. Uh-huh. They always know when the two of clubs is a winner, when it's not a winner. Uh, but they're rather quirky with some of the things they do. Very strange. So, but better you take your own part. It must be yeah. interesting to do that. Yeah, very good. Now, you mentioned in the outset that over 9,000 articles that you've written, whether it be syndicated or New York Times or whatever it may be, how, what are you writing about when you do 9,000 different topics? I mean, is it, I mean, is it around the rules? It is around the competition? Like, what's the, what's the thing you yeah, write about? It was when I took over the New York Times column, the New York Times was a little unhappy because I had my syndicated column. They, didn't, they, they like ex- exclusivity. So I had to make the columns very different. My syndicated columns are basically teaching deals. I'm explaining strategy and trying to educate my readers into how to play better. New York Times columns were tournament reports. I would be giving results and deals from all the major championships going on in North America and around the world. Mm. And so the internet was a huge help for that job because then I could contact people through Facebook and get deals from people all around the planet. It was a big plus. Right, yeah, I can imagine. So what would you say is the best way for someone to learn how to play this game? Do you... Do you just dive right in and learn from your mistakes? Do you go pick up a book? You mentioned uh, a beginner's book that's 200 pages long. That can be a little daunting. Um, yes, yes, I, it is daunting. Yeah, I went, I went very briefly and watched a YouTube video that took about 10 minutes and it only, only just gave me the concept. So what would be your advice to anyone listening how to get into this game? Yes, when I started, I actually rushed down to my local library, took every bridge book out of the library, read them all, didn't understand one word and benefited nothing. <laughs> but after I'd been playing about six months and had some idea of what was going on, I read the books again and got much more out of them the second time through. So at the beginning, you want a teacher and three friends to play with 
who can guide you through the absolute basics of the game. And hopefully you'll all be taken. And that's the best way to start without any doubt whatsoever. And just the more time you can give it, the better. And the more you can discuss with your partner, with your teacher, the better. And you'll soon find out if, you know, if I'm teaching beginners, I know very quickly whether they'll make good bridge players or not. It doesn't take very long. I was, oh, teaching, I was teaching four young children once on Thanksgiving Day morning, funnily enough. I was asked that, and on about the third deal, this young girl who was eight, she took the eight of clubs out of her hand and put it on the table with a big smile. And I <laughs> said, is the eight of clubs the winner? And she said, yes, it is. And she was absolutely right, it was. And I just thought that was absolutely great. that She could follow all the cards that had been played and knew the eight was a winner. So that leads me to another question. You know, what, what, what would you say, well, is there a type of personality? So like engineers, scientists, mathematicians. Yes, definitely mathematicians. That, okay. Or there's almost no top bridge player came from the arts side. Everybody comes from the sciences. And it's definitely a big plus to be mathematically minded because there's a lot of counting to do. The more counting you do, the better you're playing bridge. Very good. Definitely. So I know that um, you have a, a website and you in that um, website, there's a, a subscription service where you get a challenge. And, I'm, and, and I've been doing that now for a little while and looking at your challenges, trying to figure yeah, out you know, how to learn it. So, so for, for listeners that, you know, maybe they hear this and they go, you know what, I do want to try to figure this out. Hey, I'm, I'm at home all winter and I, yeah. I, I might as well like learn something. What, what would be the best way that they could go and, and maybe get information from you and, and learn how to maybe go through this whole process? I mean, obviously we talked about going online, but what kind of thing do you offer and that people might be able to find out more about you and what you do? Yes, I don't per se offer beginner classes. I have run a lot of beginner classes, but they all tend to be in country clubs and I, very little in bridge clubs. Um, I can, if somebody gets in touch with me and says, I want to learn bridge, what should I do? I advise them usually one of two things. There is a DVD that was produced in Israel, which I think is very good for learning a bit about the game. You can play through that. And secondly, I recommend buying Bridge for Dummies, which in my opinion is the best beginner book. It's written by Eddie Cantor, who's a very amusing guy. It's way too big, Bridge for Dummies. He should have left about 100 pages out. It's rather daunting, this great book, but it's the best one. And its bidding is fairly up to date. But right at the beginning, you won't get that much out of a book. You need to play with friends, with a student, teacher explaining to you how everything works and what is it you can get for your from your website because i know you've got a website uh that people can go to as well yeah my website bridgeforeveryone.com uh, that's you can subscribe and get my daily quizzes and once a week on wednesdays i send out six instructional articles as a bonus and, you know, I just try and do a bit of everything. It's been one of the things from this online playing. I keep getting good quiz questions from the mistakes I see people make, including myself. I give myself a big pat on the <laughs> big thumbs down on later this week. Yeah. So, and so if somebody contacts me, if they email me, philip at bridgeforeveryone.com, philip with two L's, 
bridgeforeveryone.com and I'll happily answer any questions they've got and try and steer them in the right direction. And if you want to find a bridge teacher, they're all over the place. You can go to one of two websites, the American Contract Bridge League, which runs Bridge in North America, well, in the US primarily. That's acbl.org, American Contract Bridge League, acbl.org. And there's a big section all about teachers and you can find out all the teachers where they are. Just put in where you live and all the local teachers will come up. Alternatively, go to the American Bridge Teachers Association, abta.org, and they'll do the same thing. They've also got a big list of teachers. They grade the teachers who are the best teachers or the not as good teachers, where they all live, and then you will see if you like, and you can get in touch on the teachers and find out if they're giving classes. And well, it's definitely addictive, the game, so... Yeah, it sounds like it. It sounds like once you get the hold of it and you understand the rules, it sounds like all you want to do is keep getting better at it. So, Philip, thanks yeah. a lot. Thanks a lot for your time today. Um, uh, clearly, Bridge is a game that has a social aspect to it because you're playing in a group of four. It keeps your mind sharp. So um, I know that Raiden and I, we're going to try to figure it out too. But thanks again for taking some time out today just to give our listeners an idea about the game and, and yeah. its benefits. Um, we very the much more young people we can get into the game, the better. Because if you go to a big tournament in North America these days, there are very few players aged 30 to 60. And if you look at the people who were winning the major championships 40 years ago, and the people who are winning the major championships today, a large number of people are exactly the same. They're still winning. There are so few young players coming through. We have a few young guns who are doing well. But the more young people we can get into the game, the game in about another 20 years in this country is going to be in big trouble. Because mm. all the my age groups are going to be long gone. And there's this big gap of sort of two generations. And so the more we can promote bridge, the better. Well, very good. Well, as Mer said, thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with us today. We hope you uh, uh, continue to educate people. We're going to do our part. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. And good luck to anyone who takes up bridge. Hope they love it. All right, everyone. That wraps up today's episode of the Secure Your Retirement podcast. If you found value in today's episode, we would love nothing more than for you to head on over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and a review. Be sure to take a screenshot of the review before you submit it, and we'll send you a special gift. Our book, Get Off the Retirement Roller Coaster. Just email morgan at pomwealth.net with a screenshot of the review to get your gift. Also, be sure to subscribe so you get notified of new episodes as they're released every week. And finally, please share our podcast with your favorite social network so more of your friends and family can benefit from this information. Always remember, you've worked hard to get where you are, and now you deserve to have a retirement that works hard for you.